What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 192 of Misfits and Rejects. Today's episode, I spoke with Quinn Zeta from conversioncrimes.com and zetalabs.com. Quinn is a super cool lady who's been on the road for the last 10 years, designing the life in the way she wants. She has the cutest little dog, Zulu, who goes everywhere with her. Zulu's on the back of her scooters in Thailand, on her motorcycles in Medellin, Colombia. Great travel partner, just great story in general for anybody who's hesitant to travel because they have animals they don't want to leave. Well, Quinn's a great example of how you can design your life with the pets you love, taking them around the world and building great online businesses. So if you're a first time listener, please pull up that phone, hit the subscribe button. If you like the message of Misfits and Rejects, you know, lifestyle design, how these individuals are making it work for themselves, creating online businesses, location independent from a specific place in the world that they have to be every single year. Please share with a friend. I sure would appreciate it. Quinn would sure appreciate it. It helps me out in the ratings of iTunes, Spotify, any podcast player you're listening to this on. Just helps people find me and this message a lot easier. So thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you all are well. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Quinn Zeta from conversioncrimes.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Quinn Zeta from Conversion Crimes, and you might remember her from Zeta Labs. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You're in Playa del Carmen, Mexico? Yep, yep. Here for quarantine. And are you stuck, or can you leave if you wanted to? I think I could leave if I wanted to. I think just flight availability. Actually, my neighbors just chartered it to like a plane. <laughs> oh, no way. Like a private little puddle jumper or? Yeah. I, I don't know because they're trying to get back to Canada and all their flights got canceled. So charter plane, I guess. If you have the money, why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> Where are you from originally? Uh, Texas. Okay. Born and raised? Yeah. Yeah. I live like probably the first... I don't want to say first half, but yeah, until my twenties, I was in Texas. Right on, pretty traditional upbringing. Or did you uh, did, like? Did you go to school, like college, and then like do the nine to five, or like when did you hit the road? Um. So yeah, pretty grew up in suburb, like a sub suburb of Dallas. Um, went to public school, all of that. Um, I ended up going to the Art Institute of Dallas. Thought I wanted to do be a Pixar animator and do all that kind of cool stuff. Got into it, got accepted, uh, and then decided uh, I hated my life. Like it was, it was awful. Like I, I hated it, and I was like, if I hate this three semesters in, I'm definitely gonna hate it for the rest of my life. So I started being jealous of like the design student projects. So I had to go to this whole mediation thing to like change my major. Cause I already changed it once, and uh, yeah. And after college, it was actually an interesting story in that I wanted to be like this creative director for like a really cool company. I'm really into action sports. So I found this ad agency out of California called Haro. And I was like, I want to work there. Like, this is the place. Um, and so that was my dream. And I was like working towards that. And 
one of like a friend of a friend worked at one of the big ad agencies in Dallas. And he's like, Oh, you want to go on a tour? And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, all excited. I go to the tour and he's like, yeah, man, this is the desk you're going to be sleeping under. You're going to be the first one in the last one out. Hey, you have any hobbies? Yeah. Forget about it for at least five years. See that person over there. Yeah. You're going to be their bitch getting their coffee every day. And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you? That sounds like prison. I was like, my childhood felt like a prison. So my adult life is definitely not going to be a prison. So I just like, I never went to any of the job interviews the Art Institute set up for me. I got in a lot of trouble for that. I had no idea what I was going to do. And um, I'd actually won a design contest. Um, the prize was to, um, I got to go to this like conference and so I went to the conference and one of the guys that was speaking was like, yeah, everyone said it couldn't be done. I started my agency out of college and blah, blah, blah. I never had a job. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. That's rad, dude. Before we get into what you did when you, after you heard that, like, what was your skill set? Like, what, as a child, like, were you most creative with? Was it like painting, drawing, sculpting? Like, were you always into computer animation kind of stuff, as you alluded to? No, I was just a creative person. Like creative in like literally anything that I did creative in like sports, creative in the sense of like art, creative in the sense of writing, creative in the sense of music. Like I was just a creative person, no matter like kind of what I worked on. So like in the sports arena, for example, like what'd you play? Um, I did baseball. I did motocross. Um, well, that was later in life, but like younger, it was baseball. Um, yeah, baseball. So then when it comes to baseball, where you stand at a plate and you swing a bat or you pitch a ball, like what kind of creativity were you impacting on the, on the game? Yeah. So like when I did gymnastics, when I was like really little, I would just like invent like new things. And I remember like the teachers would tell my parents, like, I've never seen a child do that. She like invented this like thing. So I was just kind of always like making new ways, you know, kind of like do stuff. Um, And I actually don't even remember what I was doing, but I remember those conversations. And then as far as your desire to do animation, where do you think that came from? Um, in like ninth or 10th grade or something at high school, we had to do like a technology class and they had like 12 different workstations. One was like uh, TV and radio. Another one was like CAD, like 3D modeling. One was like animation. And there were all these like technology sectors. And so you spent like two weeks in each one and you rotated around. And I loved the animation one. Like, I just loved it. But what I found out is, like, a two weeks in a technology class is not the same what turns out to, like, what people at Pixar actually do. So Yeah, I was creeping your website, and you have, like, a whole little, like, um, comic about Zeta Labs. And then yeah. I noticed on your um, Skype that you have a Peter Pan quote. Is that a Peter Pan quote? When do says, I have Peter Pan on my Skype? Yeah. It's I don't like, even know. To never north and beyond. Is that Peter Pan? I don't know. I think it Unless maybe just, it's like part of Peter Pan, but I just put never north. Never north is the name of a another website I have where I w- it was um, kind of helping other creatives do what I do, like okay. more of like teaching others like my like creative skill sets. Okay, but I never like really spent much time on it. 
maybe it's not even Peter Pan, but never north. I just see Peter Pan pointing to like the <laughs> North Star and like and beyond. You know, maybe it's not. Um, but now let's jump into like that inspiration. You had that moment where you saw the guy giving his little conference, and you're like, "That's me. That's what I'm going to do." Like, where'd your brain go as a creative? Like, did it just flash at what you needed to do, or was it like a long struggle trying to find this niche that you find yourself in now? I had really no idea because I remember like just being like, I don't want a job and everyone being like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know, but I'll figure it out, you know? And, um, when this guy was just like, oh, it was just like, oh, I'm going to start a business. You know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make my own business. I'm going to work for myself. And what came out of that is then I took a loan. It was like $5,000 and I bought um, a, like a laptop, my first Mac. Um, and I got like the software. And then at the time I signed up for a year of Elance at the time, like now it's like Upwork or whatever. I think they were bought out. Um, so you could like kind of bid on jobs. And so I just kind of used my college design skills to kind of do that. That was a really great way to get started at the time. I only stayed on there for the year because it was like learning how to win clients, learning how to like service clients. And that was like a really good starting point. And I just kind of expanded over the years from there. When did you t decide to take your show on the road and like leave Texas? Um, I was always location independent. Like I only ever had like two local clients. And after college, um, my parents, um, gave me like this cruise. So I went on the cruise of the Caribbean and this sounds like so silly. Um, but I went on the cruise and I realized that all the pictures that I saw in books were real. Like I didn't believe, like I didn't believe that all those places in the books were real. And this is what I'm like 22 years old. Cause there were so many things I was lied to as a child that I just like didn't believe a lot of things until I like saw it. And I remember being on this cruise and I was on St. Martin and I was on like this beach and I was just remember thinking like, Holy shit, it's real. I have to see everything. Like, and so that was where this desire came from. And there was this guy um, I did a intro to scuba diving as part of one of like the cruise activities. And I, I don't think I've ever met someone that was like so full of life and light. And he was just like, just so in love with life. So like, I don't know how to describe him. He was just, you know, one of those people that you meet that you just can't help. They just lifts your mood just being around them. They just like have that kind of energy. He had that. And he was like, yeah, I was just tired of life and scuba diving was my passion. So I just went and got my like master's instructor kind of thing. And then I just bought a plane ticket and came here and I was like, oh, you can do that. Like, and it kind of gave me this idea. And, um, so I went back and that's kind of when my whole business started and I'd always wanted to travel and kind of do this thing, but I had struggles. I was in a car accident when, um, kind of right after college and it gave me chronic pain. So I, um, I dealt with that. I had to pay a lot in medical bills and, um, there was, a, there was quite a big battle with that. And so I was always kind of struggling, uh, financially cause all like I would have been doing well, but because of that, I 
I couldn't really pay for a lot of stuff that I wanted to. And so I had this one client where I was helping her with her like master's thesis where she was, um, making volunteer manuals and I was designing them for her. And it was about this thing called project Mark and Vanuatu and helping them bring like sustainable healthcare to remote communities. And during that, um, I remember talking with her like on the phone for like a year, helping her like design all these manuals. And she was just like, uh, you keep talking about wanting to do this. Like, why don't you go do it? And I was just like, yeah, I just don't have the money. Like financially, I just can't. And she was like, oh, well, if you had the money, would you have the time? And I was like, oh, absolutely. And we hung up the phone, you know, whatever, went on with my life. Next day she calls me and she's like, I hope you were uh, truthful when you said you would make the time because everything's paid for you're going. And I was like, holy shit, like, what? Are you serious? So I got to like two months later, I got to fly to Vanuatu. Um, I went and did this volunteer thing and it like changed my life. Like I remember um, this one moment in particular because I was on this big ship. Imagine like the Black Pearl from Pirates of the Caribbean, but with white sails. It was like that. That's what I lived on. And so when a ship, when you're on a crew of a ship, somebody always has to be awake on the ship um, in case like the anchor comes up, like whatever storm. I don't know. And so we had to do watch for like two hours. So in the middle of the night, you'd be by yourself for like two hours on the ship awake, just like keeping watch. And I remember like the, the moon was out that night. There were the stars. You could like see the island. There's no light pollution. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And I'm just sitting there writing in my journal. And it was just like, I was just so peaceful. And I remember that being like the first moment that I felt like real, true happiness. And I was like this, like I'm meant to like do all this stuff. And so when I came back from that trip, I was like, I have to see the world. I have to travel. I wanted to do this like three year trip around the world and do all that stuff. But when I came back, I ended up meeting someone. I got into a relationship and like it kind of got put to the wayside. So after like a couple years of that, I was like, you know what? I wanted to do this before I met you. Like, I'm going to go do it like anyway. So I was like, okay, I'll go five, five months and I'll do like the first leg of this trip in South America. I'll go backpacking and save money. I went. And when I went on that trip, I realized that we probably shouldn't be together. <laughs> like, But I promised I would come back. So I came back and I tried to make it work. And then I just realized that look, we, we need to separate ways. And I sold all my stuff. I broke up with him. Um, and like I started, took my business. I, my business was already online. So I just, now I had no home. And then where'd you go? The first place that I went was, um, I went on a year long road trip around the States at first. Um, I had some stuff that I had to finish taking care of and then I, um, then I went to Djibouti, Africa. Okay. Um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I had a friend there that was stationed on the military base. Mm -hmm. And so I visited him and then I went to Bangkok, uh, Thailand. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I only knew Djibouti because my friend was also stationed there for a minute. So I never been, but that's where the name rang true to me. 
can you Vanuatu? Where is that? Just I don't even know where that is. Is that Fiji um, or Tahiti? Or? It's it's between Fiji and Australia. It's an island nation. That's its own island nation. Yeah. Okay. So that lady just because she was involved with that volunteer group just paid for everything for you. Pretty much, yeah. That's awesome. What yeah. an experience! And the moment you had on the boat where you had your inner smile come out for the first time, it sounds like, um, just kind of set you in a direction that you never look back. Except life, yeah. life seemed to test you with your boyfriend, huh? It always seems to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, one of my favorite books is The Alchemist, and I feel like I feel like my life is literally that book. Like I feel like you kind of hear something, see something, and then you um, it tests you and see if like you're staying true to the course. Are you being tested right now with this whole coronavirus? Or are you pretty in sync with what you uh, are meant to do in life? Um, I think I was already making decisions and movements going towards where I really wanted to go, maybe slightly in denial about it. And then coronavirus really kind of forced me to make a decision and stick to it, despite what other people are telling me right now. Isn't that so interesting? I have the same experiences with life. It's like life just drives me in direction sometimes. And just like takes away all my other options <laughs> and forces me in one direction. Cause like, this is, this is where you've been meant to go. I've been trying to like give you signs the whole time. Like, and you, you intuitively know that's where you're meant to go, but just you procrastinate. Right. Like I've yeah. been, I should have like shut down my online business like two years ago, probably, but I've been like humming and hawing and swinging the bat and trying to make it work. And like, I can do this. Da 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 da. And now it's like, no dude, like life's just like, you're fucking done, dude. It's time to move on. Like, this is not working for you anymore. Move on. Um, yeah. You have a cool travel partner, though, Zulu, your little dog. Yeah, she's the best. How she's long has Zulu been on the road for you, with you? Um, I think about seven years. Yeah. Um, originally, she didn't leave with me. And we don't talk about that time. <laughs> Oh, I see. I see. Cause you abandoned her. <laughs> no. Uh, when I did the, you know, broke up with my boyfriend, sold all my stuff thing. I had two dogs. Um, one of them is psycho. Um, her name is Kibu and she's like very anxious, very likes every likes routine, likes everything to be the same. And Zulu's like this adventurer, like she just loves everything. So I would always take Zulu places and leave Kibu at home and then they'd have like, this little rivalry. Um, but when I, when I left them at the place, um, Kibu adapted really well. She loved where I placed her. Zulu did not. She was so naughty. She was like pooping on their beds. Like, um, she just wouldn't go outside to do her business. And she's such a good dog. She like never does that with me. So she's being really defiant. So I was going to be in Mexico for like six months. And I was like, well, I'll just take her on vacation, you know? And, uh, so I took her and it took her a while to like, trust me again. She's like, I don't know. Are you just going to leave again? Are you going to leave me? So she wouldn't like snuggle with me or like anything. And after six months, she finally was like, okay, this is it. And she warmed up to me and I had, I didn't have the heart to bring her back. And so I was just like, all right, we're, I'll figure this out. And it actually worked out really good. She's like the best traveler. For the listeners out there who maybe aren't traveling because they have animals, like take us like play by play from like place to place and how this actually works. Cause I know Zulu is a small dog. It fits in your little backpack. Like she rides on the scooters with you in Thailand. Like, 
I mean, obviously traveling with a smaller dog is a lot easier than a big dog. So when it comes to like, I don't know, tell us like, do you need paperwork everywhere you go with her? Like she's on the plane with you, I'm assuming. Can you give us like a play by play, please? Yeah. So, um, Zulu, you have to do a lot of paperwork. So whenever I'm trying to travel, I have to look at a lot of different things. I have to look at the country, the requirements to import. I have to look when I'm looking at the flights, I have to understand where like the stops are. Um, and if I'm allowed to be in the airport with her and if I am in the airport with her, do I have to fill out any paperwork? Do I have to do all this permit? Like Hong Kong was a pain, man. Just to be in the airport, it took me like eight weeks to get approval, like in advance. Um, and then they have like someone meet you at the plane. They escort you like there's this it's a big drama. But to get from you know, the United States or over here over to Asia, a lot of flights go through Hong Kong. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a pain in my, it's a pain. Are you a travel hacker as well? Like, are you doing all the points on credit cards and trying to utilize that to fly like business class and first class around the world? Yeah. So I flown business class and first class. I've had a lot of points and gotten a lot of deals and stuff. Um, but I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a travel hacker. Um, my friends definitely helped me with, with stuff, with that kind of stuff. But yeah, Zulu's, we, uh, we got a first class flat, a uh, first class flight. Um, and I got to be in there with Zulu and it was pretty hilarious. Like we had a whole photo shoot and everything, um, in the seats and they just like the passengers thought it was pretty funny. That's cool. Yeah. I guess my, if you were a travel hacker, like you kind of have to be flexible with the opportunities that you get with the point. So with your, traveling with Zulu and the, the amount of work you have to do to try to figure out the flow around the world. Cause you do travel so much. I mean, that's an added hours. And like you said, weeks of like research before you make your move. Cause you're on the road a lot. I mean, I know you do six months here and like you spend a little bit, you spend time in places, but you also travel a lot. Yeah. It goes through phases. Like I'll be like three months somewhere and then I'll have like four to six weeks of kind of faster travel um, especially if I'm back in like the States area, I'll go to like a friend's for like 10 days, LA for like four days, like, you know, whatever. And sometimes I have to break up, um, break up the travel because the flights are so long. Like if I'm going to Asia, like one time I was going from Thailand to Medellin, Colombia, like that's going to be like two days of flying. So what I do is I would get to LA. I would stay in LA for a couple of days and then go LA, then like finish the, finish the trip. So there's a lot of like kind of stuff like that. Yeah. And you've been now doing this for, what'd you say? How many years? Well, with Zulu seven years, um, seven, eight years or something. Um, and then travel, um, I think 2010 was when I left. So it's 10 years on the road, no home. And do you have a desire to like plant roots somewhere? Like with all the travels that you've done, is there a place that you're like, mm, I could kind of see myself settling there for a little bit longer? You know, I don't think I found the place yet because I found places that take enough boxes where I'm like pretty satisfied, but they don't take all the boxes. So I'm still kind of looking for that place. But I'm definitely looking for a place to kind of have a home base, at least. Like, I really liked Medellin, Colombia for a lot of reasons, but the airport was really bad. And and what I mean by that, not like 
physically bad, but in the sense of like getting other places bad. Like they just didn't have a lot of connections and, or you'd have to go through Medellin and Bogota. Bogota is not a really well connected airport either. And so like, there's like one flight to, to like London. So then I'm like kind of price locked, you know, there's not like multiple airlines doing that route. And so the flights were a lot more expensive. So I, the reason I like Playa del Carmen is one, I love the beach, you know, but Cancun is so well connected. The flights are super cheap. So we can go anywhere in the States, like round trip for like 300 bucks and even like Europe and Central and South America and really like kind of anywhere. So if I have a base here, it's easy for me to like go like two weeks somewhere and then come back. Let's talk about those boxes that you have in your mind of like finding that perfect place and, and the ones that you've ticked off at thus far. It sounds like having an airport that makes it easily accessible to other parts of the world is super important to you. What are some of the other ones? Yeah. So I guess the boxes would be, um, yeah, the well-connected airport. Um, I would say the apartment is really important to me and being able to have a nice apartment for an affordable price, because if I'm going to be like leaving and traveling for two weeks or whatever, then you're kind of paying double rent. And so you want a place that where your value, the dollar kind of goes a little bit further. Um, food, having um, good local food is important. I also like to outsource a lot of stuff. So I just have to focus on my business, my work and things that I do for pleasure. And so having a city that is connected enough where I can have like food deliveries like here the I think it was kind of a new business. The guy, like they have a nutritionist and they make like healthy food and they deliver it to your door every day. They deliver lunch and dinner. Um, and so that kind of stuff is really important. Um, I love skateboarding. So I like a place to have skate parks. This is one of the boxes that Playa does not fulfill for me. <laughs> There's actually Woodward, um, maybe about like 40 minutes away, but it's like $50 a day to go use the facility, which kind of makes it like not a thing. So I could probably do it every once in a while, but um, having a city that's like fairly walkable, um, good climate. I, I hate the cold. I'm very much a skipping winter, chasing summer kind of person. Um, yeah. I definitely like being around water in the ocean. I feel you there for sure. I want to touch upon the skating thing because Medellin has a fun skate part. You ever skate that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was where I stopped skating, actually. Really? Yeah. I was skating. You ever, you know who David Gonzalez is? The kid from Medellin who's like super big pro now. I mean. Uh, I know the name. I haven't really kept up with the pro scene the last couple of years. Anyways, so I used to go there and watch him skate and I'd fuck around a little bit. And I tried to ollie. I was doing pretty good. I would ollie the box in the middle. And this one time I all and I landed too far to like my toe rail on the, on the skateboard. And I just like stopped when I hit, I hit the ground so hard. I got up. I'm like, that's it. I'm never doing this again. Dude. Like it hurt so bad. <laughs> but um, Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things about like the skate parts. Cause when I started skating, I started at, um, the Lee and Joe Jamal skate park in Houston. I don't know if you've ever seen this park, but it's like a five, six million dollar park. It's wow. huge. Mm -hmm. And it's like pristine. You know what I mean? Like whatever. The skate parks in Columbia are janky. 
they're janky as hell. So like, I don't trust anything. So there's like, like concrete chips missing. So you may be going down, your wheel hits it, then you like flip over and where that's not going to happen. And so I was like super timid there for sure. Are you you into like, like bowls or ramps or street style? Like what do you kind of like find yourself liking the most out of a skate park? Uh, I'm more a ramp and bowl skater and vert. Um, I'm not very good at street. Like I've never been able to do a kickflip. I could do an ollie and like shove it and stuff like that. But I'm more like I can do like front side airs, like um, a lot of mini ramp tricks and stuff like that. I want to go back to the food delivery thing because this is interesting. Like I've met only one other nomad who's so into that where it's like before she would move to a location, she had to make sure that like all those services were dialed. And like when she got to her Airbnb, it was like at her doorstep. I mean, and that's a service that I didn't know existed in that kind of capacity, especially in a lot of the places that we travel. Um, can you talk to the audience a little bit about like how that works, what that means? Like when you imply Del Carmen, there's one service. It sounds like they do meal planning for you. So they what bring actual meals or is it like just the preparation to your doorstep in? No, they bring, yeah, they bring actual meals. Like it comes in like a little plate thing and you just have to heat it up and eat it. So they give you lunch and dinner and a snack and they had like a nutritionist. Um, you have like the healthy plan and like a vegan plan, I think were the two options. And then you just kind of, you get the food that they give you. Right. Um, you can make some dietary stuff. Like I'm like, don't give me mushrooms. I will kill you if you put mushrooms in my food. Like I hate mushrooms. Um, there is another service in Bangkok that I use called uh, Paleo Robbie. I love them. They're probably my favorite food service I've ever had. And theirs runs a little bit different. Every day they have four meal options and then like eight sides. The eight sides or ten sides, whatever, never change. And then a week before you pick the meals that you want and then they deliver them on their those days. And so that I kind of liked that better because I could pick like, oh, that's my favorite dish. So I really like, oh, I don't want that, you know, and I could had a little bit more choice in the food that I was getting. But, yeah, it's just like I don't have to worry about cooking, eating healthy, like dealing with all of that, because I think with being a like kind of nomadic or digital nomad or whatever you want to call it and running a business is that we're always making decisions, always And when you're traveling and doing stuff, you're making a ton of micro decisions every day and you get decision fatigue. So if I had to think about what am I going to eat today? How am I going to cook it? Like, you know, all of this kind of stuff, then that those are more decisions I have to make in a day. And by doing a food service like that, I've completely removed those decisions out of my life. I've made one decision. I'm going to hire these people. to bring food to my door and like it's eliminated like a thousand decisions out of my life this is so cool this has never come up before decision fatigue i've never even heard of it however the only thing i do know about it is like zuckerberg has his closet full this same t-shirt and pants that he wears every single day which i'm assuming applies because he's just like he doesn't want to think about it he doesn't he just wants to with it not to make a decision Yeah, exactly. Like, I also have this problem, like, you know, with Airbnbs, like, you're also making decisions, you know, like, you know, like going through like thousands of listings, you know, like when you're trying to find a place, because like I said, there's boxes, I want to be ticks, you know, and sometimes compromises have to be made, you have to make all these decisions. So now what I do is I have like my assistant help, I give her these boxes, and then she gives me like five choices. And now instead of having a whole website, 
to like of these choices. I just have to make a choice from these like five. And I kind of like one of the things I talk about, um, I guess this has to do with like UX kind of stuff, um, is that like if you go to a Chinese restaurant and they give you this menu and it has like 200 items on it, you're sitting there for like 30 minutes trying to figure out what the hell you want to eat. You know, and it's just like this stressful moment of like, which one of these options do I want? But if you go to a nicer restaurant, they'll have like a very simple menu and it'll have like seven items on it. And you just look at it, it takes like three seconds and you're like, yeah, that one sounds great. Yeah. What does UX mean? Sorry, you, you lost me when you said UX. Oh, sorry. Uh, user experience. Oh, so okay. that's kind of what we do um, when we build websites and stuff, making sure the experience that someone is having on a website is good. So therefore, they buy more and love the brand more and that kind of thing. Yeah, this is one of the fascinating points why I wanted to have you on to talk more about this. Because can you talk to audience a little about your business model and what you do and when it started? Was this the first business you started after you kind of left? I mean, I know you kind of always been doing this, but like, when did Zeta Labs become Zeta Labs and you became Quinn, the, the like the master of this? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I guess Zeta Labs started like five or six years ago or something, but I've always kind of done this. It's just evolved over time. So originally, like when I first started my business, I was doing like design, like, hey, I need this thing designed to make it pretty. Right. And so I was like making things pretty. But what I found is that I really liked more of the strategic part of design, like getting people to accomplish a goal. Um, and one of my first clients was Stegen. Um, they're like a leadership company that helps like CEOs and like C-level executives be better executives. Um, and so we had, I helped them with a lot of their learning materials and it was like, how do we design this? Because we want them to get this out of it and not focus on like this other thing. Right. Um, and so I really, really enjoyed that strategic part of design. So I started moving more towards like, I'm a production artist. Like I just, I'm making the thing to, I'm, um, I guess like design i don't know i don't know the right word that i'm looking for right now but more like the the thinking and the why behind the design more than just like how you're placing things but like how people are experiencing that information and like what what they're getting out of that and um i started like doing a travel blog and stuff um and getting into travel and i got some like travel blogging websites and i started like getting into like building audiences and that sort of thing and website conversions, like getting more people to sign up for email. And I started realizing that my design had um, business effects that were happening. Once I kind of went from like paper stuff, you know, to more website stuff, it was like, Oh, that's like a business result that someone got because of my design. You know, they three X to their um, email subscribers or whatever. And so then I started to, really want to move into that. And I ended up landing the uh, client 16 personalities and he had a website that had like a couple million tests taken when we started. And, uh, he was really struggling with conversions. And I was like, I just painted this vision to him. I was like, look, this is what you need to do. Like yada, yada, yada. And he just, he paid me and let me do it. And he, and we ended up like five Xing his revenue, like literally overnight once the site went live. And then we just continued to iterate and work on it ever since. And that's kind of helped me move into, and that's kind of where Zeta Labs kind of really 
started formulating as kind of helping businesses really increase revenue, increase conversions and really build something. Cause if you're just like designing something and make it pretty sure that has value, but what really gets entrepreneurs is you're helping them grow their business. And by helping that guy grow that business, it was also very fulfilling for me because he now he had like, I can't remember, like 15 or 20 people working for him when before it was just him. So that created jobs. And not only that, his product was like amazing. And so now that helped more people. At the time, it was like three or five million. I can't really remember. And now if you go to the site, it's like 185 million people have like taken the test now. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, that's how many more people he's helping now. And so I saw the impact and not just like making a business more money, but also like kind of my way of making the world a better place through those skill sets. So like amplify just one person, you know, being able to amplify that effect. Do and I kind of went off on a tangent there. No, no, I, I have like three <laughs> questions because I'm super interested. Do you do all the work for them or you just point out where they need to focus and then they have to do the work to like, like change the website? Both. So for 16 personalities, we did all the execution work and all of that. We also like sell like audits and stuff where we kind of go in, do the strategic work and then hand it off. And then the entrepreneur can either like do it themselves or have their team do it or whatever. Like we had one client where they're like, yeah, I have a bunch of designers and I think it was the Philippines, but they don't have CRO conversion rate optimization knowledge. Can you just give them like a guideline of what they should do and then they can execute it? Mm-hmm. And that works really well. But if I was to pay you, for example, to do everything for me, I'm, I'm assuming it's a it's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I think that's fair. I just that's for me the most frustrating thing is like having someone come do an audit, but then I don't have the skill set to like actually implementing this shit. So then I got to find somebody else to like go implement it. You know. So yeah, I think a lot of the stuff is more kind of having this strategy and knowing the direction of it. But there is also the quality of the execution that comes into play. The other uh, question I had was with, does this, what's the question? Does it change in the sense of like, okay, you apply a strategy to a website's design. And then if it's not really working, you have to change your strategy. Or do you kind of understand at this point with the way the world is that one strategy kind of fits all? Does that make sense? It's not really one strategy fits all. There's like a like core philosophy or principles, right? You want to remove friction, right? So if you want to have someone accomplish a task, if there's something that's like frustrating or difficult, like in the way, then you want to remove that difficulty, Right. And if you remove that difficulty, then it's going to be easier for them to finish that process. And thus you get the result. Right. And so there's definitely common pattern patterns that happen there. And a lot of times people just can't see what those things are. And when I say when a lot of times when I tell it to them, they're like, oh, my God, I see it. That makes so much sense. You know, it's just they they can't see it. But once you point it out to them, they're like, oh, shit. I can relate. I'm removing friction. Yeah, that's a good word. When it comes to removing friction on a lot of the jobs that you do, is there always one thing that comes up? You're like, come on, you know, <laughs> is there one or is it not just one thing that you notice? It's, consistently? Not just, it's not just one thing. I would say probably there's like four or five things that 
people do fairly consistently. Can you share them or is that? Um, what like value proposition? A lot of times when you land on a website, like I'm just like, well, what the hell are the, what the hell do they do? Okay. Like, Straight you know, you don't, that, you just yeah. Don't yeah. You don't know. Or they'll, they, a lot of times they use like really mm, like fluffy or technical language or something, you know, that just like they think they're saying something, but really they're saying nothing. And it's not really how humans talk. So sometimes it's just communication is probably the biggest one. Mixed with like, obviously a visually appealing sort of nice thing on the screen. Yeah, and, like, people want to kind of, oh, all these things are important, you know, and they kind of, like, put everything there. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, it's like, no, there's definitely a hierarchy there. You know, what is the most important thing for them to understand? And that should be the biggest, boldest billboard on the page. And, okay, what's the second most important thing? Okay, let's have that smaller, like, half the size. And it's like you think of, like, these things as, like, volume knobs. So it's like the the most important thing should have the highest volume and the next one should have like a middle volume and then the other things should have lower volumes because you want to like guide their way down the page and give them the information that they need when they need it. Because if you throw everything at them at once and everything's like the same size, the same color, the same kind of visual weight, then they don't know what they're supposed to look at. No, and then they flow. just leave. Yeah. Feng Shui. Website Feng Shui. <laughs> how, how big is your team? How many people do you have working with you? Uh, Six, I think. Yeah, six now. All virtual somewhere else in the world or in the States? Yeah, we're all remote. We're all remote. We do meet up from time to time. Well, not now because of coronavirus, but um, yeah. And how, did you find them on Upwork or did, like were they recommended to you? Man, every single one of them have a, has a completely different story. And the team is amazing. Like a lot of times um, they've been with me for years, especially like the core team. Like my developer, Henry, um, I stumbled across his website years ago. Um, and then we ended up meeting in Bangkok and we just really got along. So we've been working together for a really long time. So that just like kind of stumbled into that. Where's he from? Um, He's from the UK originally, okay. but yeah, he's, he really loves Thailand. So he spends a lot of his time there. Uh, Peter, my illustrator, I'd actually hired a friend of his Braj, I think was his name, um, off like freelancer.com. And one day he was just like, Oh, I can't work on your projects anymore because like I had this really big client and I just don't have the time for these small things. But I have a friend who's like, really loves illustrating. You should like check him out. And then like, uh, he's, this guy's like not even online. He doesn't even have like a credit card or anything. Like I've had to buy things for him on the internet and mm -hmm. ship it to his house. Things that he wants to buy online. It's kind of funny. So, um, so yeah, they've all kind of come through different ways. One of them I met, um, at DC, uh, DC event. So do you get a lot of business from the DC? Um, yeah, yeah. Is is it like 90% of your business or like 50% or 20%? I'm just curious. Yeah, before the DC or um, when I joined it, no, I didn't have really DCers as clients. But I think I've done a lot of like workshops and speaking and networking and like sharing knowledge that just naturally 
that kind of built up percentage wise, I would say it probably makes like 80%, um, with for for at least the agency yeah for conversion crimes no um the user testing platform so that one's pretty all over the map yeah we'll get into conversion crimes in a minute because i'm interested to learn more about that with um the websites that you have and you being a conversion expert like how well do people find you and how well do they convert like so i think like i spend so much time and effort and energy on client sites like we care so much and we're we really do good by our clients that we haven't really spent the same effort on our own stuff like we have and we, we haven't like when we have time we're able to do it because we're a small team right we're pretty limited and the work that we do for our big clients is very time and resource intensive that, um, I mean, they're designed well, they look cool and stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, we definitely need to spend more kind of effort and energy on that. As far as leads go, my main, like ever, I've never done like cold outreach, like Facebook ads, like, um, anything like that. I've done a little bit of content marketing, like writing and stuff. And, um, all of my leads have come from, networking and referrals. And so I never really place like a big emphasis is like, okay, we, we have to like do our stuff. And that's kind of been what we've been focusing on. Like the last, like, I don't know, four or five months. It's so interesting. Cause I was like, when I started my business, I was under the impression that if I really gave a lot and did I, what I felt was quality work that people would share and leads would come my way as well. And that hasn't happened at all. But maybe it's just the niche I'm in and the size of it. And then people aren't, I know people aren't really looking for the services that I provide when it comes to online surf instruction, which is why I've had to scrap this. But like, how many hours are you working? I know you put a lot of time with your clients, but how many hours a day do you put in, like, on just a daily, uh, on a daily work day? Um, that's changed over time, you know, because I think in the beginning, I, I overworked way too much to the point of like burnout. And I did the job of too many people. Like I probably had four full-time jobs at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. kind of when you're wearing many hats in the business. But as I started to grow out the team and do that, um, less and less would like kind of fell on, on my shoulders. And I like once that kind of happened, I was like, okay, I can step back and like take a break and kind of see what's going on. So like all of last year, I, um, I took a lot of time to myself as my team kind of did the work. And before how it worked is like, I was like always communicating with the team. And then I put someone there that helped them communicate with each other. And a lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, I can't delegate stuff because they're just not going to do as good job as, as I would. And I just like let them do their thing. And I swear it was like 99.9% perfect. Like if I had been there and I was like, okay, so I'm really not needed. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> good for you. Congratulations. Yeah. So I was like super stoked with the outcome of that. And so really my job with the agency is really the vision and more of the strategy part. And I do none of the execution work really anymore. So that's been pretty dope. Hell yeah. I mean, taking the last year to yourself, what, what other kind of hobbies do you have aside from skating? Like what were you doing with your time? If you had so much of it? 
Yeah. So I, and when I was in Medellin, I had a personal trainer. I was going to the gym like every day for like two hours. I took long walks with my dog. Uh, you know, I was doing the skateboarding, um, playing a little bit of video games, uh, Fortnite. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, take, I took like a motorcycle trip, just kind of enjoying life like we you know we we build businesses for like freedom but then we just end up like creating our own like nine to five kind of like little prison um and working too hard and so granted you're working for yourself and it's like different but I just realized that I just gave too much of myself into the work and so I took a like a step back and so like how many hours do I work it's like varied like it used to be like 12 14 hours a day and then it was like you know, like two days a week <laughs> or two hours a day. And then now I have a pretty like normal schedule. I'm pretty much like nine to three or four. And then some days I'll kind of go to seven or something depending. Um, so yeah. But when it comes to like vision and strategy, like what, what's your vision? I mean, I know you're kind of transitioning to um, conversion crimes. Can we talk about that right now? Yeah. So yeah, that's why it's different. Cause, uh, last year it was a lot of Zeta labs, um, doing a lot of that stuff. And we realized that what we were doing is we were working on these big contracts. And then with all of our free time, we were building our own product conversion crimes. And so I kind of already did a lot of that work. So the team was able to kind of do that. They could step back, but now, um, we're kind of, working on moving towards only working on conversion crimes and really slowing down the client work. And, um, why is it necessary to transition more into that? Because there's more opportunity you think with that? Um, I think it's that I've spent a lot of time building websites and stuff for clients and making them a ton of money. And, realizing that I want to put my skills towards something that's mine and really be able to reap the benefits of that and have full control. Whenever you're working from with clients, it's great. Like our clients are great, but at the same time, they're also still a boss, right? And you still have to make compromises and maybe things, um, there's just always compromises that need to be made because you have two visions that come together. They know their business and you're trying to help them really scale that. And so I really wanted something that I had complete ownership of and conversion crimes is that, and it's something that me and our team really believes in. Uh, so conversion crimes is a user testing tool. Basically um, you it's, you have a website and you understand like maybe analytics, Hotjar, whatever is saying a bunch of people are adding items to the cart, but not checking out. I don't know why. Or it could be customers are writing support, asking us really dumb questions like, do you have this backpack in blue when that's clearly on the product page? Like, why are they asking us this? Or, um, or something like that, right? And these like analytics can tell you that, hey, there's a problem here. Support can say, hey, there's a problem here, but it doesn't really tell you why there's a problem or how to fix that problem. And that's where user testing really comes into play. So it's taking somebody that's never been to your website before, never used your product, having them record their screen and speak out loud as they follow like a set of tasks. So you'll say, like, go to this website. What do you think it's about? Who do you think it's for? 
you know, what do you want to do here? And then it's like, okay, I want you to uh, find a backpack on this website under like hundred dollars that can fit your 15 inch laptop, you know, or whatever. Like you kind of give them like this criteria, like this situation and then see if they can accomplish that task. And like, can they find the information? Can they, you know, whatever. And then you like add to cart and check out, can they actually do that? And when you do that, you're finding out like, Oh, they found this item. They wanted to buy it. And the reason they're leaving the cart is because you weren't transparent about shipping. How many times have you left the cart because you're trying to buy a $50 item and then it's $20 in shipping. And you're like, yeah, no, you know, I'll just go buy it on Amazon then or something. Um, and so you kind of, you get to learn kind of stuff like that. One of the e-commerce stores that I was helping, they had questions about, uh, people are, they had a financing option. So they sold high-end consumer electronics and they had a financing option on their website. And people were asking like, well, how much are the monthly payments? And they're like, oh, the information's on the site. They, you know, whatever, um, they can't find it. So we ran a test to figure that out. And during that test, when they were in the checkout, they realized that there was a problem between um, sending information from their website to the financing website. And there was an error that was causing people to just leave. And when they found that it was a five minute fix and they fixed it, their conversion rate went to, I can't remember off the top of my head, but like 0.6 to 1.5 overnight. And so they were running Facebook ads to this. So that made like a huge um, ROI now on their Facebook ads and their sales, like literally overnight, just from something they found in, in a user test. So anyways, that's what, that's what user testing is and is what conversion clubs do. Pretty competitive niche. So we use user testing for Zeta Labs and we found like usertesting.com. A lot of the competitors were really expensive um, and they were moving towards enterprise accounts. So they wouldn't even talk to me. They wouldn't even have a conversation. And I'd actually talked to some people that do use user testing and it was $20,000 like for the year to get started with them. And a lot of small businesses don't have that. And so it was just, it really put a lot of them out. Now you can do the DIY version on their site and it's a hundred dollars per tester. So it'd be about $500 for the test. But if you want any of their advanced features or actual like help with stuff, then they have like a huge buy-in for that. And only enterprise companies can really pay for that. Enterprise, what's an enterprise company? So enterprise company is like a like a, a much bigger company like think like Walmart or Inter uh, I don't know about Intercom um what's the other one I was thinking of but like a like a much larger company where they're going to have like a marketing department or an mm -hmm. analytics department they're going to have like a whole team that their whole job is like conversions right so, so the they've company, got budget the company pays you to use your service conversion crimes but then how do you get these random people to come participate and take these like questions and, and apply it. Uh, people love work at home jobs that are very simple and require so like, like I could get paid for this. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you, yeah, you just literally, you just have to like, uh, we train our testers a bit more than some of the other platforms and that we want our testers to be able to articulate their thoughts better, you know, and so we kind of help guide them on that. So you really just have to be able to have good sound, the ability to record your screen and the ability to speak your thoughts out loud. So then you'd be like, for example, hiring me 
to come on and be a participant in this? And is that like a full-time job, a part-time job, like a paid per sort of thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a paper video. So we've got like a pool of testers and whenever like a customer comes on and they buy something, there's like a dashboard where testers can see all the tests and then they can select the ones that are relevant to them. Some of them are self-selected by demographics. Like if their profile says they're male, they're not going to get a test that says like, Oh, we only want females. So depending on their demographics, whether they'll see the test in their platform or in their dashboard or not. And then we have some additional requirements that they self-select from. Like we want someone that reads the news daily. Like, you know, if we're, we're testing a news website, we want someone that actually kind of does that. It doesn't need to be an exact target market fit because user testing is not um, customer research. It's usability research. So you, you need someone with enough knowledge to understand, like, how someone would do something. But, like, if you have a photography website, you don't need a professional photographer. You could have an amateur that does it, you know, for fun on their side because they're going to understand camera terms or what have you. So the pool of people that you already have involved in this, like, are you looking for more people? Like, is this something the audience could get involved with since everyone's <laughs> stuck at home without jobs? <laughs> Well, they, they could. Right now we closed uh, the, the tester registration, but there's like a wait list thing. So if you sign up for that, then um, they'll be able to uh, sign up and do that. Yeah. What, is, what would somebody get paid per test? Just out of curiosity. So I think the average is like four, six dollars or something. And it takes. Okay. Yeah. It depends on the length of the test. Mm -hmm. um, so. The shorter test, I think it's like 50 cents, a dollar, something. And there's $2, $4, and $6. And like the longest one takes like, I think like 15 minutes. And are you, if, are you stacking tons of tests during a day or you just get picked for one and then you get like six bucks in your account and like yippee? Um, so, I mean, it depends on the number of tests, like customers that we have coming in, the number of tests that are available. So a lot of times, um, testers, they sit there with the dashboard open, we're working on tester notifications and then they get something and they just pick it and go. And every Monday, I think the payouts go out. So it's not like something you can do for a full-time job. It's just kind of like extra money. Like when we talk to testers, a lot of times they were like, yeah, I just do user testing for my monthly book budget because I have a book habit or I, or they have a beer habit or they want to use the money to pay for their kids' childcare. Like they, a lot of times they have like a specific thing that they want to buy or do or what have you. And then they do this kind of as like a micro job to make money for that. I mean, some of them do it full time. They sign up to all the sites and they do them for all of them. But yeah. I love these kind of conversations. Like I didn't know a lot of what we just talked about. It's so interesting. <laughs> That's so cool, dude. So do you have more businesses in the works in the future? You think that you're going to create spinoffs off this or new ideas? I feel like this is going to be my baby. Um, I have a huge vision for it, like huge. And um, what we're doing with conversion crimes, no other user testing company has done. Like we have a completely new way to execute like what it is than the other like competitors. And um, so I'm very excited about that vision. And then um, just like being able to like spin it off into other things, you know, like instead of just having 
um, just regular normal people, we could have a copywriter do a user test that would be able to specifically give feedback on copy or a designer or a developer. Like there's like a lot of different ways that you could spin it. Definitely. That's so cool. I mean, what an interesting path you've walked through life up until now. How old are you? Do you mind me asking? Uh, 38, I almost said 37, 38, damn it. Wow, dude. I mean, not even 40 yet, and you've lived such an amazing life doing so many cool things and about to embark on a new journey with conversion crimes that could take you into the stratosphere of something remarkable when it comes to what's in your bank account. Yeah, I'm really excited about that because while like at Zeta Labs, you know, we charged clients and we made like good money, we always kind of really struggled with profitability. Um, because we were, um, we were working on client stuff, but also trying to build our own things. So we sacrifice profitability for like time. And I'm really excited to be able to go all in on conversion crimes and really kind of build that up. Yeah, no, that's super cool. If you could talk to one audience member who's heard your story and inspired by it and wants to start something of their own, whether it's their own online business or even just take that first trip with their dog, what would you say to them to kind of inspire them? Um, just do it. I mean, I know that sounds like cliche or whatever, but I know that whenever, um, whenever I think about fear of doing it, I'm kind of reminded of the first time I dropped in on a vert ramp. <laughs> like, I don't know why. I remember standing there. It's like this 13 foot like drop. It was a 13 foot um, vert ramp. And there were no other ramps around that were like more forgiving. So I went from like a six foot like max like mini ramp, which is a very um, forgiving transition, meaning it's like very, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to describe it because I know that I the listeners probably know. transition is the best yeah. thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very forgiving transition um, where it's like a slight angle, whereas like a vert ramp is like straight down. Like it's straight up and down. Like you're literally just falling down a wall. I remember just standing up there looking, I was like, it's concrete. Like it's going to hurt if you fall, you know, and you're falling 13 feet to the ground. And then I, you know, I just was like, ah, fuck it, you know, just go for it. And I made it. And it's kind of like a lot of times when I think to like business stuff, it's just, um, just kind of deciding in your mind that like now's the moment and I'm going to try it. Like what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Maybe concussion and some broken bones, but you know, um, everything that I've gone out and I've just tried, it may not have always worked out how I envisioned it, but it put me down a path that like I wanted to be on. I mean, just like the animation, like I was like, I'm going to be like this hot shot Pixar designer. I'm going to make like Toy Story and stuff. And I got into art school and then realized like, oh, look, these designs, these graphic design people, they're doing cool stuff. That looks way more fun than like looking at an alien leg, 3D alien leg for like 12 hours a day, like moving pixels. Like it was just so obnoxiously boring to me. Um, and so like, yeah, I think a lot of times just kind of going for it and you end up finding, finding the path along the way. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for your time, Quinn. We appreciate you. All right. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Awesome. Quinn. Thank you so much for joining me. What a cool story. I love what you've accomplished. Huge inspiration to me, huge inspiration. I know to all my listeners out there striving to accomplish something similar as they all are either finding themselves jobless due to coronavirus 
or find themselves in a situation that they're unhappy in and ready to make a change, ready to maybe find a way to become a remote worker, freelancer, a lot like how you started and get out there and mix it up. So thank you again so much. Again, if you're a first time listener, please hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening to this on. Sharing this would mean the world to Quinn and I. And if you feel so inclined, giving us a five-star rating and a comment is also much appreciated. I think you all are so very beautiful. Thank you for joining us, and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out and spread your wings and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.